0: Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about spiritual food. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to say, Happy New Year. I hope that you had a good time ringing in the new year, and I also hope that as you go into 2019, you're considering some ways that your life might get better this year. I really like the new year for being a time when we can start new things that will benefit us or restart some things that maybe we haven't done in a while that will help us grow. And as part of that, I really hope that you are considering what might grow you spiritually in the next year. And maybe as you consider that idea, listening to sermons will be a part of it. Maybe even listening to our sermons at Creekside will be a part of it. If that's true, then I would really encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, our sermon podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're anything like me, it's hard to remember to check in and see the latest episodes of podcasts unless you've hit the subscribe button and you're getting a notification that a new episode has gone live. And so I really hope that you'll you'll subscribe. If you do that, it will help you remember to listen to them, but it'll also help others learn about our podcast. Leaving a rating and review does that as well. And so if you have a minute, we'd love for you to leave a rating and review. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. I hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. And I hope that all of my sermons this year will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. We continue today to talk about spiritual food and to get you up to speed. Uh, we've talked about in this series, primarily about how we have to come to Jesus to be spiritually full. But how as an extension of that, we need the Bible in order to stay spiritually fulfilled. And uh, I went to Corbin University down in Salem. That's where I did my undergraduate degree. I loved it. It's a great school. And what I'm about to say is not indicative of the school as much as me and my friends. But uh, I, I played baseball there. And, and one of the things that is, is a memory I will take with me forever are the long theological debates that we would have while driving on the bus. Uh, it, it was a time in my life, uh, Corbin, we have these four years where really all I had to think about was baseball and school, and that's quite a bit of my time, but uh, but those were the two primary things in my life, and uh, and it's this incredible opportunity being in a Bible school or being in seminary later to really Uh, take in the spiritual food that we've been talking about in this series, to ingest the Word of God in in deeper ways and uh, more frequently and all of those things. But if you were to ask me to define my time at Corbin and even my time in seminary, I would describe it in terms of debate and not nourishment. Uh, I spent a lot of time arguing about things with my classmates and not a lot of time Really being filled up by the Word of God. Um, I remember my freshman year uh, talking to Jeff Tollison, teammate of mine, about whether animals could be in heaven. Uh, he was adamantly against the idea. He's a bad person, basically, uh, and and I was I, I was more for the idea. I don't know where I fall still, but we would have these great debates. There was these two guys, Russ and uh, and Kyle, uh, and they would. They would. They were roommates, but it seemed like they hated each other. Every time they talked theology, they were on very different sides of the theological spectrum. When it comes to, uh, when it comes to the topic of election, if that means anything to you, predestination, eternal security, and and they would get on our bus and they would argue for eight hours on the way to Idaho, uh, and you would think, man, these people hate each other, and they didn't. They were roommates. Um, and so much of my time, and, and I don't say this as a good thing, much of the time that I spent uh, w- with, most, with the most time I'll ever have in my life to look at the Word of God, to take in the Word of God, it, it was spent more in dissecting the Word of God than eating the Word of God to stick with our, our metaphor here. And, and what I've noticed, and perhaps this is because it trickles down from Bible colleges and seminaries, is that most Christians are not dissimilar. They really like the theological debate, but they really struggle to care to take in the Word of God in a way that is edifying and uh, nutritious and and beneficial for their spiritual lives. The easiest way to see this, a couple easy ways. One, uh, it, when I preach a sermon that is theologically heavy everybody wants to talk about it It's like there's questions and there's dialogue and I can stand here after church and listen to people Discuss it and things like that if I teach a sermon about uh, A sin and and how we ought to remove it from our lives. You don't hear any discussion Nobody wants to talk to me about it. Nobody thinks it's a big deal, you know It's like let's dismiss that and get it under the rug small groups You see the same thing like in, in small groups it's really easy for them to fall into that trap of of Bible college where it's like, let's talk about these kind of hard theological issues and never really talk about how Jesus is impacting our lives, how great Jesus is, how important Jesus is. Even the way we think about uh, trying to tell other people about Jesus, those of us that are Christians, we want other people to know and love Jesus. And when we think about how to do that, we don't just think like, man, what if I just joyfully talked about the simplest things of the gospel and how great of an impact Jesus has had on my life. It's like, what about all the questions they're going to have? And do I have all the answers? What we've done is, is what I, I felt in, in college and what I even expressed to a professor at one point. The Bible has become a textbook. It's just this textbook that I dissect, that I try to figure out, that I try to have the answers from. But it's, it's not spiritual food anymore. That's what happened to me. Uh, in fact, I would say that the hardest time for me to read the Bible in a meaningful way was my four years of college when I was reading it the most. It was definitely the hardest time to really care about reading the Word of God. You have one hour to read the first half of the bible and it's like oh well, i better hurry you know and this is the kind of thing that i did um and, and today we're going to look at a, a passage of scripture that speaks directly into this issue and I hope it'll be a little bit convicting for us but also uh, a little bit encouraging for us as we think about what it means to take in spiritual food. Before we start that, uh, it's an interesting passage of scripture because it, it, it reads on first glance almost identically to the passage of scripture that we're going to look at next week and I thought that I would just kind of have a two-part sermon and I'd use this passage today, 1 Corinthians 3, 1-3 through 3, and then I'd use the other passage in Hebrews next week, but when I opened this up this week and I started to, to learn about it more. It, it actually says something very different from the passage we're going to look at next week, even though the language is very similar. And I hope, I'll just give you a, a, a glimpse into my mind, since I've already said it to a couple of people here, I hope that I can articulate the difference very uh, in, a, in a meaningful way this morning, because more than a ser- any sermon in a long time, I really struggled to figure out what this passage really meant, and not only that, but how I could communicate that meaning to you when I was so... Uh, So uh, struggling so much to figure out what it actually meant and and so hopefully i'll do a good job with that That's just me opening up, you know My soul to you and saying this is going to be kind of a tough one for me to articulate But I hope you won't stop listening at least at the end You can say he did a very poor job of articulating that if nothing else And so here's how it begins in first corinthians 3 1 brothers and sisters I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly mere infants in christ brothers and sisters and the word i there he says i for paul that's a way of personalizing what he's about to say and what he's about to say is a rebuke he is saying something that the whole olive of book of first corinthians it's all uh kind of a rebuke it's pretty harsh it's uh, he, in 2 Corinthians, he even says, like, I was pretty harsh when I wrote that first letter to you guys. And, and so here he softens the rebuke a little bit, not softens the importance of the, the rebuke, but he softens it by reminding them of his relationship to them. Like, I see you as brothers and sisters. I'm not saying that you're not Christians. I'm not saying that I don't love you. I'm saying that we are one, and because we're one, I need you to understand this next thing that's about to come out of my mouth. And, and what is that thing? The thing is this that they ought to be living by the Spirit, but he needs to address them as people who are worldly or mere infants in Christ. Now when we think about this, we usually think of these kind of grave sins, right? Like they're struggling with sexual immorality. This is for Paul a lot. There's division in their midst. They're fighting. They're arguing. We'll learn about this church, not today, but if you keep reading the book of 1 Corinthians they're getting drunk before they're showing up to take the Lord's Supper. Like whenever I think like, man, we got a long ways to go as a church, like, well, it's not that bad, you know? I mean, it could be worse. Uh, some people were coming uh, and having like feasts at these meals while other people were hanging out in the corner and they didn't have enough food for, for or they didn't have enough money for food. They were they were hungry and they were starving and, and the, the wealthier people weren't even thinking about like, hey, maybe I should share. I mean, they had serious problems, but in this passage it's not, it's not those kind of typical things that we think of when we think of somebody who is who is not growing in the Christian faith, who is a mere infant in Christ as Paul describes it here, and, and, and we know that because of the context, and that's what we're going to spend a lot of time looking at this morning, but uh, in, in our passage, it, just the last part of it, I'm going to read it. First, and then we'll kind of backtrack. 1 Corinthians 3, 3 and 4 says, You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human And so the problem is jealousy and quarreling, but it's not any type of jealousy and quarreling. It's specifically this weird thing that's happening in their church where they have taken up sides about what Christian minister they are following, what Christian minister they are supporting, what Christian minister they think is best, what Christian minister they think is right. They are quarreling, and this is what the context of 1 Corinthians suggests, they are quarreling over higher wisdom. What makes them mere infants is not these grave sins that we might think of, but instead it's it's this idea that they are they are focused on these details about who is speaking to them, about how those people are communicating to them, and, and about kind of these higher truths that are not central to the gospel. Now, here's kind of how we know that if you were to... Oh, before I move on, I just wanted to take a note, and I should probably make a note of this more often, but uh, as far as reading the Bible, when you read the Bible, it's really important to place things in context. Um, When I was planning on preaching this sermon, I just had these verses, and I wasn't thinking about their context at all, and I had an idea about what it was talking about and what it meant, and the reality is that we must be careful to remember that when we read a verse in the Bible, it is part of a letter or a book as a whole and it's really important to see what surrounds that verse Uh, we've already seen in this series in Matthew chapter 4 the devil himself Satan himself pulling verses out of scripture and then feeding them to Jesus and saying hey you should do this sinful thing because look what God has said and we know that all around the world the Bible is used for some very awful things it's used in awful ways and and it almost 100% of the time is used in awful ways because people are grabbing singular verses or small sections and pulling them out of the context in which they were written and then saying, look what the Bible says. Most of the time when somebody approaches you with something that just doesn't seem like the Bible would say and they say, look what the Bible says. It's usually because they've ripped it out of the context in which it is written. And so when you read Scripture... That old thing that everybody, I think, does when they're a brand new Christian, like flip open the Bible, we can't do that anymore because I, I don't even, like, hardly ever open a Bible, I just look at it on a screen, but, but we, I used to do this, I shouldn't admit that, you might be done it, open the Bible and say, God, speak to me, and then we'd read a verse and say, wow, he did, and that might work, that maybe has worked for you, maybe became a Christian because of that, that's really cool, tell me the story later, but that is not a good way to read the Bible usually. And so we have to, in order to understand this passage, we have to look at the context. And, and we go all the way back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10-13, through 13, and it says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters... Some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? The division is not over, I don't know, doctrine or anything like that. It's over which Christian teacher they think is best that they've chosen to latch on to. And that's not entirely surprising given the cultural context at the time, I mean Jewish people that wanted to kind of be Jewish teachers, they would latch on to a rabbi and then they'd follow that rabbi around, you, you may know of some Greek philosophers that that people really held strongly to, you know as, as the Roman world was influenced by the Greek world, some of that still remains, like well I'm an Aristotle guy or I'm a Plato guy, you know, and so they're looking at Christians, in the same way that they looked at their culture as a whole, like I need to latch on to a guy. People are like, I like the way Paul says it. I like the way Apollos says it. Well, Peter, Cephas was better. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to the beginnings. You know, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold on to to that. You think what a weird thing to do, but <laughs> it's, it's, we do it. We still do it. We do it all the time. I mean. This seems to be the way of our culture today, like I listen to Joel Osteen, or I listen to Mark Driscoll, or I'm a John Piper guy, or I like John MacArthur, or I listen to Judas Smith, or I listen to Stephen Furtick. Those are the guys I follow on Twitter. You know, I mean, it's that one. You can't follow that one and, you know, be a Christian, or you can't follow that one and be a Christian, or you can't follow that one and be a Christian, or a good Christian at least, These are the same type of arguments that we're still having today. Which one of these guys does it best? I tell you, in ministry circles, it might be the worst. People just, like, become, like, I don't know, like groupies, probably in an appropriate term, but like groupies for other pastors and they just try to copy them and do it like them because this is the best way and they have it figured out and this is exactly how I'm going to do it and I'm going to preach my sermons just like them and I'm going to dress just like them and we're going to do church just like them and and, and and that's the Christian culture that we live in today. We've taken the same approach where, where, we, where we make less of Jesus and more of uh, the people who are leading us in the way of Jesus. We know this because when, when these pastors begin to struggle, one of two things happen. The, the churches fall apart, or, or they, the church, because they're so blindly following some of these men, just will sweep things under the rug and act like they're not evils it's because they need to keep them in the pulpit and they need to keep them going, and, and if they don't, then, then they're lost. A lot of people struggle in their Christian faith, or struggle to have a Christian faith anymore, because the person that they latched onto did something awful, and it it tears it it destroys their faith. And so Paul is writing the beginning, you know, almost three chapters of the book of uh, First Corinthians to say there's divisions, and these divisions are over over these Christian leaders. But Christ was not divided. There is one Jesus, and it is He who you should be following. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. He's saying this, this high wisdom, like why are you shooting for higher wisdom? Why are you looking to be more like Aristotle and Plato? Because they would hate the foundations of your faith, the Christian faith. I mean, let's consider it for a moment. You've probably believed it a long time, but, but just think about this. We're sinners. Like, just stop right there. Much of our world today doesn't believe that there is anything sinful. Uh, that what I do is, is good or bad based on whether I kind of deem it good or bad, that morality is relative. The world embraces that, and many Christians are embracing that today. And so just the, the most foundational truth of Christianity, that we do bad things, is not accepted in much of the world's wisdom today. We could go back a step further, that God created. Uh, I mean, even that, that there is this creator being, that seems to be going out of fashion in, in the wisdom of the world today. Like, oh, you're just an idiot. Like, like you. oh, you believe there's a creator. And so even that, and, and so Paul's like, like hey, this Christian thing was never meant to sound wise to everybody, just to those who choose to embrace Jesus as their Savior. And then we keep going. We're sinful, and then God comes out of heaven and is born of a woman, of a virgin woman. A virgin woman? Like, that's crazy. That can't happen if you're just, just basing it on this worldly idea of intelligence and wisdom and smarts. And then he lived perfectly a sinless life and then instead of like just, you know, being strong and mighty and taking over and doing what he wants, he chooses to humbly sacrifice himself on a cross. And, and I'll tell you where people get hung up is like, how could somebody sacrifice for my sin? Sometimes it doesn't even make sense to me in a logical way. How could somebody else pay the penalty for my sin? That's not something we have in the world. We use these examples, right? Like, well, it's like somebody going uh, to the electrical chair for you. Nobody would allow that. That's not a thing that happens. I'm sure that a lot of parents have wanted to go to the electric chair for their children, but they can't. Our society doesn't allow it. And then, making all matters worse, not only did Jesus die, but he came back from the dead. And that's where a lot of people get hung up and say, well, I simply can't believe in Christianity. I can believe that Jesus was a great guy, a good teacher, maybe somebody that's worth following. But come on. Somebody coming back to life from the dead, that is too much to believe. And Paul says, look, you guys are all getting all caught up on who sounds better and who sounds more right and who says it in the smarter way, but he's like, this whole deal, it's not meant to sound like the wisdom of the world. It's meant to sound like the wisdom of God and a wisdom, by the way, that can only be believed as the Spirit calls us to Himself. And then he gets right to it in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. The Jewish people, if you've read the Gospels, the story of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're always wanting one more sign. I mean, Jesus raises a guy from the dead. It's like, well, that's good, but if you could just do us one more favor, we might believe in you. That's kind of how it goes. That's like the story of Jesus' life. We want another sign. And the Greeks, they're looking for it all to add up, to be philosophically so sound that there's no holes in it. And let me just stop and say, I believe in the, uh, the philosophical soundness of, of Christianity. I believe that it is the most logical choice as a religion. But God did not give us his word. God did not uh, start a religion that was meant to sound like the philosophies and the ideas of the world. That's not what it was meant to be. And, and, and he says, look, look, you guys are not being any different than the culture around you. You're looking for the best arguments, the best ideas, the, the best rhetoric, the best speakers. You, you're embracing these higher kind of ideas of society while forgetting the important truths of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians one thirty one, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Don't boast in what church you go to. Don't boast in who you follow, what pastor you follow on Twitter, what, what guy you think is best. Don't boast in what theological paradigm you're coming from. Boast in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. If you've ever read any of the letters of Paul in Scripture, they're deep. They can be difficult to understand. They're heavy at times. And Paul says, I showed up in the city called Corinth in order to talk to people about Jesus and then lead the first church there, and I resolved, that's how he says I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and Him crucified. He knew a lot. Very intelligent man far more intelligent than me. I probably didn't have to tell you that I mean just the way he comes across to write like that to think like that. It's just incredible to read Uh, I maybe have told you this before but in my studies of Greek you open the book of John and you can almost Translate John after from Greek to English after one year of studying Greek Paul no clue He's using a bigger vocabulary. It's like way beyond you know where you would get in a year of Greek. And and he says, I, I showed up and I, I wanted to preach to you and I just wanted you to know it's not about human wisdom. These higher things are not important. And so I showed up and I just resolved to say, look, Jesus died for your sins. Jesus died for your sins. What's this Christianity thing about? Jesus died for your sins. He loved you enough to give his life for you. He died for your sins. But what about this and this and this? Hey, here's what I'm telling you. Jesus died for your sins, and, and pa- for Paul, it's like, I'm really hoping the Holy Spirit shows up and makes that impactful, because you preach that day after day, you'll get fired, right, and, and Paul's like, I really hope that Jesus is impacting people, but I'm just going to tell him, Jesus was crucified for you, he gave his life for you, that's what I'm here to tell you. And so Paul is, is saying, like, look, I didn't show up with a TED Talk, right? Like, I didn't show up and and have some well-thought-out, rehearsed speech that I'd given a thousand times. I just showed up with a singular idea that Jesus died for your sins. And in 1 Corinthians 2, 13 and 14, he, he takes this point further. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person with the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. What's the point of all this? The point is to say this. The people were focused on human wisdom and rhetoric over and above the simple truth of God. And this leads in their culture for some to say I follow Apollos and some to say I follow Paul. That's what, is, what the division is. But it's all because they are focused on human wisdom and rhetoric over the simple truths of the gospel. They want to debate things and Paul says you need to embrace things. And the things of Jesus are the things you need to embrace. Gordon Fee, who wrote an amazing commentary on this book, says a childish mindset is the misjudgment about the quality and required methods of Christian proclamation and teaching. What it does is it places value on the style over and above the message. And doesn't that sound kind of familiar in our world today? I mean, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I'm, I know, and I hope our church isn't this way, but I know that in most churches, if I was speaking somewhere else this morning, that the conversation when people drove home would not be about the truth that I tried to proclaim to them. It would be about whether or not I did a good job or a poor job. And I hope that we've built the culture here where that's not true. When you get in the car, you, you leave, you drive home, you don't say, Chad did a good job or Chad did a bad job. You say, what does that truth mean for my life? We've tried to do this with our kids, and I've told you this before. I never asked Hazel if she liked the kids' ministry. I never asked her if her teachers did a good job. I say two things. I say, how did you help today? How did you contribute? That's what I say. And she doesn't know what that word means. And so then I say, how did you help today? And then I say, and why was it important for you? What was important about it? And I think our children's ministry people do an incredible job. She likes them. She usually goes to that. It's her default, like all of us. Uh, But I hope that that's not what she thinks about when she thinks about church. Oh, I get this teacher today. They do better. They're funnier. That's human wisdom. I had this teacher that I loved in 4th grade Mrs. Crawford she was my favorite teacher until this science teacher named Mr. Day who was an odd but awesome man in in high school and and Mrs. Crawford one of the things I loved about her is she did voices she did voices when she read books to us and I really think about this now that's a 4th grade mindset but yet in churches all over our country today people are determining how good their pastor is based on if they can do voices if they can be entertaining if, if they can engage them in some way that looks just like the rest of the world. And then the other part of this is that we want to, just like them, focus on hard theological issues without really paying attention to the deep spiritual truths of the gospel. We want to we want to debate and, and talk about you know predestination and unconditional election and eternal security and uh, the old covenant and the new covenant and whether you should be dispensational or millennial or dispensational or not dispensational, uh, your views of the millennium kingdom spoken about in the book of Revelation and what 666 stands for. But what we don't want to talk about is how Jesus died for us and that demands that we give him our entire lives and how we're failing at that at certain points and how we ought to do better because we love him so much. That's what's missing. And that's what was missing in this church in Corinth. And, and sadly, the, the same things that are taking place in the church in Corinth are starting to take place more and more in the church. The more we debate about the high theological wisdom style things, the less and less it seems we, we live for Jesus. And so as an extension, they're getting drunk when they come to church and they don't care about each other and they don't love each other. And they're embracing sexual immorality in ways that even the pagans, this is how Paul says it, even the pagans would, would be bashful about it, would be ashamed of it, and they're embracing. It. And it's because they're not, they're not Ingesting spiritual food They're dissecting uh, The words of God Gordon Fee again says They were carried away with childish enthusiasm They set themselves up As enlightened men They were greedy for ecstatic experiences Paul shows how infantile These things are He kind of uses harsh language He, he, he says this these two words, he says, you're you're fleshy and you're fleshly, which I know is hair-splitting in English, but it does a good job. It's two different words, um, same almost except for the endings. And one is to say, like, you're humans, but the other is to say you're characterized by the things of the flesh, which for Paul is, is basically to be characterized by things that are sinful and against God. Paul has this strict dichotomy between things of the flesh and things of the spirit, and he says, look, you're my brothers and sisters but when it comes to this issue this knowledge stuff you think and act and look just like the rest of the world not like followers of of Jesus you look like and this is this is not how we should be you look like mere humans and we say that as christians now right like we i i've said it like oh i'm only human paul would be i think he'd be mad at you like no no you're not you're not just human if you're a Christian, you're a human who has been indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit should be encouraging you, and convicting you, and helping you, and teaching you in the ways that you should go, and the things that you should do, and in this area, they were not listening to him. And so in the middle of what I just read to you, Paul says, hey, you're, you're acting like infants. It's because some of you follow Paul and some of you follow Apollos. And, and now I've given you the background information. But at the, in the middle is, is the verse I want to focus on today. 1 Corinthians 3, 2. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. The issue at hand is between, notice this, the true food of the gospel and the synthetic substitutes which the Corinthians have preferred. Paul says, look, when I was there with you, when I spent all that time with you, I gave you milk, which is the simple truth of the gospel. I gave you milk. And that was right. When you're a new Christian, you just need to hear over and over, Jesus died for your sins, live for him. Jesus died for your sins, live for him. Here's a few ways you can live for him. And Paul says, you weren't ready for anything beyond that. You needed that. You were a brand new Christian. That's great. If you're a brand new Christian, you need that. And and sadly, we jump, we try to just say, hey, now you've heard it. Let's move on to the higher things. Paul says, when I was with you, when I spent all those months with you, I just kept teaching the same thing because that's what you needed. We should learn from that. But he says, now, enough time's gone by that something should be different, but you still aren't ready for anything else you still aren't ready for anything but Jesus died for your sins and he rose again and these people this is the way that that I think I would say these people's problem is is that they they still need formula but they want fancy food Uh, the difference here between milk and solid food is not what it will be in the passage we'll look at next week which is is the, the simple truths of the gospel and the higher truths of the gospel. It's more like the simple truths of the gospel and, and fancy food. It's like, hey, you are acting like babies who need to drink from the bottle, but you're like, I want to go get a steak for $55. And it doesn't make sense. And, and these people are turning their nose up. This is the real issue. Hand. Like, well, that's just, that's baby stuff. That's baby stuff. And Paul's like, if this is the point, if you can't embrace the baby stuff, if you don't love the baby stuff, if you're not ingesting the baby stuff, taking hold of the baby stuff, then why do you think you need to go have a nice dish of pasta? Sorry, I'm just trying to get all the things you like. <laughs> you're not ready for a burrito if you can't drink the milk. That's the one I like. <laughs> That's the point. That is what he is saying here and so Paul what he says to them is simple and this is something I think we all need to hear he says I, I just need to keep giving you milk and for some of us that's the reality we need to keep taking in milk John MacArthur said this it was helpful to me hopefully it'll be helpful to you you say what is the difference between milk and meat doctrine there's no difference what? It's him I was using the voice inflection. What? What do, you, what do you mean there's no difference? There's no difference in the doctrine, just a difference in the depth of it. The same thing that's milk to you might be meat to somebody else. It's all food. But if we're not excited about the simple food, then we shouldn't be trying to eat the fancier food. I'm Look, look, pfft, when it comes to this topic, I'm as guilty as anybody. I was trained to be as guilty as anybody. I mean, you show up and nobody says in a college-level class, like, hey, let's talk for 55 minutes about how much Jesus loves us. <laughs> like, that doesn't happen. It's like, hey, we're going to cover all 50 chapters of Job right now. That's a lot, you know? <laughs> how am I going to take that in? And so I'm as guilty as anybody, but the, the reality is that some of us, need to get back to the basics. The spiritual food that you need is simple. It's easy to chew and easy to digest. You need to read about Jesus dying and rising again for your sins. You need to do this over and over and over and over until it satisfies your soul and changes your life. I think one of the reasons that we see in ourselves a lack of spiritual maturity is that because it's because we're trying to take bites of steak and, and we haven't ever drank the milk or enjoyed the milk that will actually grow us to the point where we're ready to, to have the steak. If you, if you don't like the simple truths of the gospel, if you don't want to talk about them, if you don't find yourself talking about them, then, then you don't need to move on to the harder, more difficult truths. The uh, New International Commentary of the New Testament, I want to quote it three times and then I'll pretty much be done. It says, the wisdom that they are now pursuing strips the gospel of its real power. At the same time, their very pursuit of it has led to the divisions. Isn't that what we do? We get so caught up on the high food that we just strip the gospel of its power. And, and when, when non-Christians think about what we believe, I think it's so convoluted at this point that they can't even see where the milk is. Like, oh, they argue about these weird things. Like, we should be known for just simple truths that are life-changing. It says, again, they have abandoned the gospel for something that may look like solid food, but is without the nutritional value. And that's, we do that, too. We, uh, to phrase it another way that's different than Paul, we want candy, but we don't want milk. I should have said we want the Oreo, but we don't want the milk, because that makes more sense to my stomach. The NICNT says, the point is to move Christians from their present fascination with wisdom back to the pure, notice this again, I'm going to read it again, to move Christians from their present fascination with wisdom back to the pure gospel of the crucified Christ. And I would ask if that's what needs to happen for you. I think it's what needs to happen to me. I need to return to the basics. I need to stop focusing on the worldly wisdom and style of the message and start focusing on the beauty of the message itself. I need to stop dissecting my spiritual food and start uh, eating it. Start taking it in so that it will change my life. And so maybe that's you this morning. I hope I've articulated this well, but I'm going to pray that, that we will be people who love the simple truths of the gospel. Lord, um, I thank you for, for these words that were hard for me to understand this week. I hope that I've spoken truth this morning. And, and God, if, if at any point I've misspoken, I pray, God, that, uh, that people would just not even think about it ever again and, uh, and, and they'd move on without it. But Lord... I, I at the same time pray that they would hear your truth in my sermon. That they would hear your truth in, in your words, God, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. And, and I pray that we collectively, God, and, and the American church as a whole, would get back to the basics, Lord. Um, I've been guilty of preaching sermons, Lord, that are far too much like a self-help book. Uh, I know that, that that is an epidemic in the American church. I know, God, that I've I've preached sermons that... They're theologically rich and deep, but they've forgotten, God, that, that all of it needs to be washed down to take the metaphor maybe too far, God, with, with the milk of the simple truths that you, Lord Jesus, came to earth, you died for our sins, and you rose again so that we might be reconciled to you, Father. And I pray, God, that whether we're studying deep theological truths or, or simple truths, Lord, that we would never be far from from that reality That you loved us enough to, gave, to give your life for us If there's people here Or listening online Or who will listen To the sermon online later God That don't know you That have never given Their lives to you Maybe they're caught up In the w- wisdom of the world I pray God That they would at least consider Just looking at the basic story Of, of you God in your gospels And reading it And, and seeing for themselves uh, How beautiful it is uh, that you that you loved us and you loved us so completely and and so graciously. Lord, I pray all of these things in in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, during this next.